0: Army veteran Patrick McKenna is an experienced entrepreneur and angel investor, having generated more than $1 billion in exits over his career. Prior to co-founding Facet Wealth, he founded High Ridge Venture Partners to invest in companies based outside of Silicon Valley. And he was a co-founder and executive at technology companies, including NextRep, Kennex, and LiveOps. Patrick McKenna with Facet Wealth is up next on Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move, If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union lets you experience more. From everyday commutes to your next big vacation, the flagship credit card earns you three times the points on travel, so you can get rewarded for wherever you're headed next. All right, today we're talking with Army veteran Patrick McKenna from Facet Wealth. Patrick, uh, you've done some phenomenal things in entrepreneurship, some really uh, real big-time stuff, and we're, we're looking forward to, to hearing all that. Um, you're a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, multiple companies even can have a perspective of, uh, you've done some investing in, in other companies yourself too, so looking forward to hearing all that, but we do want to go back and hear what you did in the Army.
1: So it's great to be with you today, uh, Joe, a real pleasure, um, and to talk to your audience about entrepreneurship and uh, transitioning from the military. Um, my, my career in the military started as a high school senior when I applied to ROTC, uh, so I got a, a four-year full-ride Army ROTC scholarship, which th- took me to the University of Southern California, and uh, so I spent four years there, kind of did the ROTC program, and after uh, graduating, I was uh, branch assigned to Signal Corps. Fort Fort Gordon, Augusta, Georgia. And so I was off to the Signal Corps. And my specialty was military intelligence, cyber, ComSec. And then I was off to Korea, where I worked in military intelligence. Ultimately, I was down in Panama um, for a couple years, where I worked for General Barry McCaffrey as his uh, ComSec officer on his travel team, ran that travel team, and then uh, uh, was off to graduate school.
0: Now, when you got out of the Army, was was it a was it a surprise when it, when it happened, were you planning in advance or did the army say, all right, it's time to go talk about your transition?
1: So I think I was pretty well prepared. Uh, I, I had in my mind that, uh, I had, a you know, four years of active duty, which was my commitment. And then I had at least a four year reserve commitment. I ended up seven years in the reserves after active duty. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew that the date and time that I was going to be looking to transition. So one thing I will say to to our audience here is that I used the four years that I was active duty to did as much training, as much leadership, as much experience as possible. Took every school from airborne schoolhood to uh, northern warfare training, but also did cyber classes. I did all the stuff that was offered to me. I took all those courses, and then I took jobs at were very relevant to the work that I wanted to do um, after leaving the military. So there's uh, so many opportunities to gather training and experience during the four years that I knew that I was gonna be getting out after four years. And my first stop was graduate school, business school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of set myself up with experiences that would have been hard to get in kind of financing consulting while I was in the military, knowing that I was gonna have a transition through, uh, through a graduate program.
0: Yeah. And you kind of had the soft landing in the reserves afterwards and then uh, not completely living, leaving the military environment. Uh, school or graduate school is a great transition environment for for most veterans if you're looking to go to school because you're, you're not under extreme pressure. Um, you know, obviously school is a lot of work and studying and everything, but um, it's definitely a, a safe environment as opposed to jumping into maybe the competitive job market or corporate America. So as you as you came out of college, were you, were you interested in entrepreneurial ventures or were you just looking to get, you know, make your mark in corporate America?
1: what's really interesting is that my entrepreneurial uh, interest came a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So I was following a very kind of traditional path. I went to graduate school and it was like a two year career um, there. frankly, you know, taste everything, look at, you know, banking and consulting and, product management or or whatever. There's a lot of things to look at. And for me, um, you know, heading into uh, into finance made the most sense at that point. I really was interested in learning more about business and the way the, kind of the global financial system work. And so I went to Wall Street. So I went mm-hmm. to Georgetown, so USC undergrad, went to Georgetown and I did a master's in finance. And then I did this program at the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown, International Business Diplomacy. So a nice combination. And that set me up for my first stop was investment banking in New York. So I went from Georgetown, to army, Georgetown, and then worked on wall street in mergers and acquisitions. at uh, at first at JP Morgan and then at Morgan Stanley. And so, but the, but here's the thing that's really interesting is you're building all these experiences. I was building all these experiences that would ultimately lead to my entrepreneurial success because at some point after two years in banking, I was like, huh, is this what I really want to do? Mm -hmm. And an entrepreneur is going to get their question in a lot of places, you know, a 16 year old running a, you know, a, you know, a lawn mowing business might be like, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur or graduate from high school and start a business or in college, see something or go work somewhere. For me, I was about 30 years old and I had been very successful in a very traditional path, landed on wall street. And I said, you know what? I am really interested in entrepreneurship starting companies and I was really interested in technology. And so that led me to, I got a call one day from somebody I knew who I'd gone to college with and he was starting a company in Silicon Valley. And he calls me up and says, Hey Patrick, I'm starting this company in Silicon Valley, building a team. You want to come? And I had been thinking about how to get started. And I said, you know what, if I'm ever going to learn how to be an entrepreneur and particularly a technology entrepreneur, yeah. I should go and just take a job in the industry. Like step one, go and work in the industry that you want to disrupt or be a part of. And so here's a lesson I think for a lot of people that I had to, I took a step back. So I was on a very fast track in investment banking finance. And the job that was offered to me was financially, it was a step back and maybe even responsibility, a step back, but I knew that I wanted to go and learn some skills. And so I, left the banking world and went and joined a startup, sat at a desk with a bunch of people. And for two years, I kind of learned the startup business, but as an employee with the idea that I'm not sure what I was going to start, but I knew I wanted to start something. And that kind of led me down the path of starting the four companies that I have started.
0: You know, how much of a, how much of an advantage in the entrepreneurial world do you think you had based off of your military leadership experience coupled with a full understanding of how the fin, how, how money works really the financial markets and investing and everything else. Cause a lot of people jump right into entrepreneurship, not knowing a whole lot about money whatsoever. They're, they're, they're stuck with the entrepreneurial idea and they figure out the money mm-hmm. thing as they go along.
1: Three really important things set me up for success in entrepreneurship. Um, one was I learned I, in the military. I had a lot of technical skills, like I really telecom systems, network, cyber. How you know, in many ways, how a product is built on how to deliver a service. Like I, I got that experience operationally. Platoon leader, you know, we 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 really have to get our hands dirty with a lot of that stuff. And if you're working as an NCO or uh, you know as enlisted, you are getting your hands dirty and really learning something really vital. Um, number two was you're right. I learned about money. I learned how uh, after leaving, I learned you know, how money works, how you raise money, how money is evaluated. But I want to go back to my other military experience that helped me both succeed in graduate school and in finance and in entrepreneurship is the military. I learned how to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. This is critical. I think all of our fellow veterans and related spouses and all that. I think you take for granted how rare it is that your just natural ability to take responsibility for the mission, yourself, and those around you. And so when you get into an organization, whether it was banking or wherever, like I was president of the finance club in, 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 in business school <laughs> and, and in banking, like I really cared about the delivery of the whole thing, which allowed me to be trusted by people around me, which allowed me to learn more. And then when I became, got into the, uh, the tech entrepreneur world, I was willing to take responsibility, see how responsibility flowed around. And that allowed me to learn faster. And I think that is something that people in the military take for granted because you have to take responsibility mission. It's not, you know, wait for right. somebody else to come and do it. And then taking that attitude at technical skills, money skills, and that, that leadership and responsibility is a great formulation for being successful in anything but entrepreneurship, nobody's telling you what to do, Joe, you are, you're writing the script every day. Yep. And, and that's the key to entrepreneur. If you can't get up every morning and write the script, then who's going to tell you what to do. And <laughs> there's one thing I love about you know, military operations, like go take that or here's your objective. You're going to be moving to contact and moving through adversity. It's not like you come back and say, hey, um, sir, uh, We didn't get that. We didn't take the hill. We didn't take the objective. Yeah. What are you talking about? No, you gotta figure it out, you know, move through it. And so that's the same thing, same mindset that will make you successful in entrepreneurship.
0: And it's interesting because you're somebody that has a phenomenal set of hard skills, all the technical expertise you learn when you're in the army and the technical expertise in the finance world, you know, money, it's, it's a lot of very high end hard skills but you go back to that soft skill that you picked up in the military yes. which which is some some people call it ownership or knowing how to take responsibility mission accomplishment
1: and so it's such a rare resource in the world and this is one thing i love about hiring military veterans and, and frankly the spouses have the same mentality if you're running the, the the household for for active duty military you are having that same ownership mentality as well and so that's something that i love about Hiring veterans, also backing veterans in entrepreneurial opportunities because that ownership mentality, of course, you have to have the right idea and you have a great solution, but you will have less doubt about somebody's ability to execute.
0: That's phenomenal. All right, hold that thought. We're gonna take a break. Be right back. I know so many of you are figuring out what's next in your career. As a veteran, you might be looking at a whole new path and wondering what training you need to get there. If you're considering a job in software engineering, I highly recommend checking out Sabio. I know a lot of veterans that have successful careers in software since leaving the military. Sabio is a coding bootcamp and developer community that's been training veterans since 2013. So many former students say Sabio has changed their lives. Sabio is not your average bootcamp. In just 17 weeks, you'll not only learn to code, but gain real life experience and graduate ready to start a real high paying tech job. I love that finding a job is built into the program. After military service, finding a new job you love can be so daunting. Sabio has helped so many veterans kickstart their careers in tech. Sabio could be a game changer for you. Visit sabio.la/on the move to learn how you can use your VA benefits to enroll at Sabio. That's sabio.la/on the move. Don't wait. Go to sabio.la/on the move today to learn more. Traveling is so beneficial whether it's to relax or see somewhere new. And wherever you're going, a travel rewards card just makes traveling so much easier. I've had the flagship credit card for a couple of decades now. The premium travel card has a low annual fee of $49 and two times the points on all purchases outside of travel, meaning the rewards don't have to end even when the vacation does. Flagship credit card also comes with up to $100 in credits toward TSA pre-check or global entry and reimbursement on an annual Amazon Prime membership. Hmm. I didn't know that. I need to look into that. Learn how you can earn up to three times points on travel and more with the flagship credit card at NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD, veterans, and their families. Flagship rates are variable and range between 10.74% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Our back talk with Army veteran Patrick McKenna from Facet Wealth. So, Patrick, uh, before the break, one of the other things you were talking about, which I also wanted to readdress, was you went to work for a startup. You you found you're fascinated in entrepreneurship. Not everybody gets this opportunity. I mean, I would say if you're somebody that really wants to get into entrepreneurship, but you don't already have that idea, you don't have that vehicle to the fight, the fight being entrepreneurship, going to work for a startup, if you can find an opportunity like that, is a phenomenal way to go. And that opportunity presented itself in front of you and you, were, you were able to jump in and see what entrepreneurship was like working for a startup without actually writing the script completely yourself every day.
1: You, I, I really recommend it for everybody, especially somebody who's trans transitioning from the military. It's like, why not have somebody else pay for, you know, the those mistakes that you're going to make otherwise. Right. Yeah. So Go and learn on somebody else's dime, watch how it's done, and you're going to like and not like things. And it's going to give you kind of the right mindset to say like, oh, I like this. I don't like this. And then companies are always making mistakes that you can learn from. And then you can go out on your own venture. I always say like, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, right? Make new ones. So working for a company and learning and then going out on your own, which is really what I want to talk to you about today is like going out on your own is starting a company. So I've done it four times Mm -hmm. and my most current company, my current company facet wealth is honestly my like Magnus Opus. It is the company that I feel the most passion for. It brings so many of the experiences we're talking about working for companies. I've also been an entrepreneur three times. My first company raised 50 million, sold it for 500 million. My second company was in a different business, in the data business, raised less, still sold it. My third company um, raised some outside money. It's still scaling, still going. Each one of these companies led me to understand a problem. So let me take a step back. If you're thinking about starting a company, you really need to think about what do you know that other people don't know yet? For me, with Facet Wealth, it was actually understanding there's this huge problem, Right? financial services, like the financial planning, Mm -hmm. this is a very expensive thing. People with lots of assets as well get access to it, but people, the big mass market, the, you know, 44, the 40 million U.S. households who control 40 some plus trillion of assets, they don't have access to this high quality, um, this high quality advice. And knowing that technology can lower the cost of delivering this service is something that I knew and our founding team. We knew that this was a Huge opportunity to bring innovation, but there's three or four other questions that you really need to think about if you're thinking about starting a company. What do you know? You know it before others, but then it's like, here it goes. Why this? Why now? Why you? And then I always add this other one here. It's like why here or how are you going to do it? Like you, have, what's your special sauce? Like why is this a big problem? Why is now? Why is now the time to solve it? And uh, and why are you the one to do it? And then what's unique about the way that you're going to deliver that service? And with Facet, it goes back to my personal core. So my mom, I grew up in a small town uh, called Plasterville, California. It's like five, 6,000 people. My mom was a, a mailman, letter carrier, 34 years at the U.S. Post Office. Mm. And when she retired because her knees gave out after all those years of moving the mail around and the sleet and the cold and the sun and everything like that, Um, she'd done very well for herself. She had this great job. She had rental properties and she walked into the local financial services offices and I won't say their name on the radio (laughs) and podcast, but it was somebody everybody knows. And basically the financial services options that were given to her for retirement optimized their commission, their, their, their benefit over hers. And what this person didn't know is that this post retired postal worker had a son who had gone on a full ride scholarship, first in his family go to college, had worked his way all the way up and knew what the alternatives were. And so my why for FACET was that, how do I bring this high quality financial planning, this thing that I know exists to people like my own mom? And when I partnered up with with Brent Weiss and Anders Jones, my co-founders in FACET, the three of us brought unique perspectives to solve this problem in a very scalable and big way.
0: Now, give me some examples. Exactly. What are those, what are those investment options that are not available to people on the lower end of the wealth scale, um, that you're able to tap into through facet wealth? Like what, what are exact, what exactly are we talking about?
1: So the big the big difference here is that for the mass mass market, mass affluent people, the people like that big 40 million US households, their wealth looks very different. Say 10% are in the stock market, 90% is in your home, a small business, mm-hmm. some other thing. And the current system isn't incentivized, doesn't really have a way to help you with things other than your asset management, like allocating your assets, which we do, FASA does and does in a really great way but what about the rest of your financial life? So we take a financial planning perspective and say, what are the facets of your life? What are these different things that are happening whether you're getting married, having kids, buying a house, scaling your house, setting up retirement accounts. Think about it from a full holistic financial planning. And here's the kicker, we do it as a subscription service. Mm. So instead of it being fee-based or percent of assets, which is the typical model, we have a fully transparent subscription fee. So Joe, you pay us and nobody else pays us. So we have a fiduciary Mm. dedicated certified financial planner who's dedicated to you and their only incentive is to help you achieve your financial goals. And this is a huge differentiator in this market because we don't get paid by anybody else besides our client. And since it's also not asset based, now we have 1.2 billion of assets that are actually managed by us directly. It's $8 billion if you look at all the assets across the different things that aren't directly managed by us. So this is a really big uh, amount of assets that we're managing. And we do it not based on your wealth, but on the subscription service. So this is a really huge innovation that is directed towards this big giant market who's typically been what I call underserved and overcharged.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Can I ask what the subscription is or is it a scalable... I-
1: it kind of has a scale, kind of 1,800 to say 5,000 averages about $2,500 a year. Uh-huh. And that's the, and you think about it, that's the only um, fee that we receive It mm-hmm. is paid by our client. So nobody, no product companies are paying us, no insurance companies are paying us, no advertising. And that what we call aligns our interests with our clients. And it's a big yeah. deal.
0: And how does that change? from all the other ones that are out there that most of us are very familiar with how does that change um the amount of money that you're able to make like d- does that put you at a disadvantage like from the, from the value of your company per se um like 2500 okay. bucks a year is you know, a couple hundred bucks a month right so it's not it's not crazily expensive but a lot of times Uh, especially people that have a lot of assets that are being managed. And if they're only being charged a one or 2% management fee, they don't, they don't, they don't have to write that check. So it doesn't feel like they feel like they're getting it for free, really, which is kind of. um, I think you understand this business uh, (laughs) quite well.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So many times
1: the fees are hidden or hard to figure out. uh And we're making a long-term bet, Joe, we're making a long-term bet that says if we align our interests with our clients, our clients are going to have empowered lives. They're going to be enriched. They are going to be happier. They're going to have less anxiety. This is kind of going back to the military stuff for me. It's like, like I always think about it this way. For me, service doesn't, didn't end when I took off the uniform. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought about everything that I do, particularly when I'm starting a company is like what the integrity of it and how are we aligning our interests with our clients? It's Mm -hmm. super important. And so we're taking the bet. We're making this risk. So we say that if we're transparent with pricing, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't pick up every single fee that's out there that we could legally take. Mm -hmm. And we just stay focused on serving the client that our clients are going to get the best advice. They're going to stay longer with us. They're going to tell more friends. And then we're going to change the way this industry works and others are going to have to come and do it our way. So like you gave that example, Joe, about the 1%. It's like, wouldn't that be an interesting question for you to ask your advisor? Be like, "Why am I paying you every time that I make more money? I'm paying when I'm contributing assets to this. I'm paying you more money, but you're not doing any more work. Like, <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah. it's a really interesting thing. Like, who else is paying you when you like take insurance? If, if we advise somebody on insurance, we don't take a commission for insurance. Now you know people do get paid an insurance commission. And, oh yeah, and a lot of like, times you don't know stuff, that, yeah. <laughs> you don't know the conflict. And so we have just because we're mission oriented towards helping more people and more places live healthier and better lives through their financial uh, planning is that we then uh, have that alignment. And we just believe over time that it's going to pay
0: off. So getting into some of the nitty gritty with Facet Wealth, how does it work? Is it like a platform or is it a relationship with an individual advisor at Facet Wealth? What's some of the what are some of the. Intricate details of how it works. If somebody's interested,
1: so this is a really unique part about our business model. Is this is you the special get, sauce. You get Joe. You and all of one of our twelve thousand plus clients get a dedicated, certified financial planner mm-hmm. who is your advisor. Okay. Not a shared service. You're not calling into a call center mm-hmm. now. Those are, there's great people on the phone working at those other companies in those shared environments, but you have your Facet advisor. She has all your information. You and her have worked on a plan together. Mm -hmm. You're working towards quarterly goals about your family's interests. And um, it's the same exact certified person who would work with somebody with $10 million or $15 million. It's the same certification, certified financial planner. Mm -hmm. So you as somebody in this case, one of our clients who kind of fits our demographic, you would be getting the same person, literally the same licensed person as somebody with 10 million or greater. Uh-huh. And all the tools that we have, so you are working within a tool, like within a, a within a system so you can see your cash management, see your assets, see your goals, interact via email and chat and text and stuff like that. So here's the thing, tw- a lot of times with entrepreneurs, you have to, like get over the nose. They say, when we started this in 2016, it was like one of the ways that we were gonna lower the cost of delivering this service was to have certified financial planners, advisors, mm-hmm. work from home. Sure. And do it all through video. Now, seems obvious post-2020, but in 2016, that sounded pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, when, like, was Zoom, when was Zoom was, invented?
1: Zoom, <laughs> in, we had Zoom in our first week. Okay. And so- <laughs> Another thing that we had as an insight was that the people say, oh, you're not, nobody's going to trust their money with somebody you to meet in person. I'm like, really? I think everything else I'm doing, banking, stock stuff, everything else isn't isn't done with an in-person engagement. The video relationship, it's very personal, but technology enabled us to create a more scalable and lower cost personal interaction. So we were executing this in 2016. People said to us, who's going to trust their money with somebody that they don't want to meet in person? I'm like, uh, we'll see. And now it's like, who wants to meet anybody in person, particularly to talk about, you know, their financial plan when you can do it at your leisure from your home without actually having to travel and waste all that time. So we have thought through all the different aspects of financial planning to deliver what's valuable to the client with the software enabled kind of ease of
0: use. Interesting. Of course, I'm sure, who's not going to give their money to somebody they haven't met that probably falls into the category of the older you are, you might be that way. But also when you get older, it's harder to get around or harder to, you you might have to drive all the way across town. You might not want that either, but we're getting to the point where 60, 70, even, even 80 year olds are perfectly competent in zoom or FaceTime or all those things. So um, do you find that, what is your demographic? Do you find, is it working better for younger people, older people, or is it across the spectrum?
1: It's really 35 to 45 is kind of the sweet spot for, okay. for our, it's, you know, not Gen Z or young millennials. It's kind of older millennials through Gen X. And okay. it does get a little bit older. Uh, it really just depends on where people are in their financial lives. How close are they to retirement? Are they already in retirement? And we have an offering for the whole spectrum, but you know, a young family, who's building wealth, who's now thinking about retirement, thinking about school, thinking about, you know, having complexity in their financial life. We believe that every decision is a financial decision. You think about that. And so are you going to call your mm-hmm. stockbroker when you're thinking about upgrading your home or you have a baby? I mean, we've had some just amazing experiences. So let me mm-hmm. give you an example of when you change the relationship with your financial advisor, some different things happen, right? So- mm-hmm. We helped clients pay off $340 million of debt last year, just last year, 340 million in debt. Now the typical advisor actually would have a conflict because paying off debt means you move assets, which they fee on 1% to pay off debt, which they don't make a fee on. Right. right? Right? So there's a, not to say they don't do it, but they have a disincentive to actually do that. Sure. Right. And also, since we don't take, uh, we, we don't take any compensation for like student loan refi or debt consolidation, we they can get what we call best execution. We can go and find a partner who's going to give the best terms to our clients. And instead of them paying us a referral fee, we can push all that benefit down to our clients. So when they're refining debt, they're actually getting the best terms, all that stuff. And we can kind of curate that. Um, You know, another thing uh, is when, one of the things that I love is all the families, babies, so amazing, just warm my heart. Every time I see a little picture of a baby, especially when they're wearing a facet onesie. So (laughs) last year we had 208 babies uh, born in the facet family that we're aware of. And uh, we had clients, you know, when they get pregnant and they're ready to tell people, facet is one of the first one, two, three calls to talk to your advisor and say, hey, we have this great news. And now we're deadly anxious about what are we gonna do? We have to upgrade our house, how do we start savings, blah, blah, blah. Think about all the decisions. And you know, are you gonna call your stockbroker? No, you're mm-hmm. gonna call your financial advisor and you want them to actually have your best interest in mind right. and be thinking, well, here's a bunch of things. Let's upgrade your insurance, let's let's take a look at your house. There's a bunch of questions that come when you get in these life transitions that aren't all transactions. Right. The financial industry, in many ways, is set up as a transactional business, right? Yeah. I'm going to get paid first getting you in a loan or a mortgage, getting you in a credit card, getting you in 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 insurance. Each one of those is a transaction. With yeah. Facet, we don't make any extra money on each one of these financial products. So when we're talking to you about, say, now you have a new baby coming, our advice is is uninfluenced. Uh, <laughs> Our, our advice is not influenced by the incentives of any of these products. So we can have a holistic conversation with you that we think really does change the relationship and it's really leading to our success.
0: Awesome. I'm curious, how many, is there a magic formula? How many from a financial advisor's point of view, um, a certified financial planner's point of view, how many clients can one serve?
1: It's a really good question. And it's, 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 it's changing as we build more technology to make it more personalized and, and kind of the think about the busy work that a financial advisor has to do administratively with a client, the less busy work that a, a human interaction has to do, the more clients you can serve yeah. on a very personal level. So the typical RIA kind of advisor, 70 to 80 clients at like any high quality. Uh-huh. For us it's closer to 200, maybe 220 mm. and that would be us using technology to really optimize all the administrative backend. And here's my my you know our facet view is that humans are vital in every workflow. Like mm-hmm. the human is the thing that you're paying for, yeah. not them actually inputting data into a, into a spreadsheet. Right. And so if we can maximize the amount of time that you as our client are talking to a human advisor at the right time, the right place, a 10 minute conversation can be worth two hours of you, like oh, yeah. doing something else. And so we're constantly trying to figure out the way that our advisors, can deliver service to our clients in the way that is the highest impact on their lives. And it's not always just having a one-on-one conversation. It's them doing stuff actually for our clients.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Hey, we're, we're getting towards the end of our time before I forget, how do we find facet wealth? If, if, if you have a, are you, are you looking for certified financial planners?
1: We are, we're hiring planners, salespeople, awesome. engineers. Awesome. Like we are hiring okay. across the entire board. We would love for people to go to uh, take a look as a potential client, go through some of the videos, kind of see, uh, fill out a form, talk to one of our advisors and see if it's a good fit. Uh-huh. Or go to our job placement and see the positions that are open and, and certainly um, make an application.
0: That's awesome. Well, hey, I want to give you the last word, Patrick. If, if you're talking to somebody, a veteran military spouse out there looking to get into entrepreneurship, not really sure what the vehicle to, to the fight's going to be for them, not sure if entrepreneurship might, might be right for them. What kind of advice comes to mind when you're talking to somebody who's wanting to get into it but doesn't know how to get started?
1: Two points of advice here. So one, if you want to get into it and you're not exactly sure what you, how you want to do it, like you don't exactly have the idea, Mm -hmm. then you should definitely go and work for a tech company, go work in a startup, simmer in it, see how product is built, see how the the tools that are being used, those, that is really important. Like in that environment, your passion for starting a company is going to get ignited. And wherever you land there, you're, you don't have to actually work in that industry. If your general goal is to be an entrepreneur, go work in an entrepreneurial environment, you will then see how the sausage is made and then figure out the way that you want to do it for yourself. The other is if you have a very specific idea, like you know something that other people don't know Mm -hmm. yet, I love that, right? This is really important. Now your goal is a little different, You how do I get the tools, skills, resources, network so I can take my insight and start a company? And then you just have to assess yourself and say, where are my gaps? Really important. Where am I, to understand the product, the market, you may then make a different decision. You might be ready to raise money or start a a minimal viable product and go for it. Or you might say, you know what, there's a couple of things here I need to learn before I'm ready to launch this very specific idea. In that case, you want to go and work in the specific industry that you want to go and disrupt. Again, so you can build a network, learn more things. And in that way, when you go, you actually have a higher likelihood of success. So general entrepreneurship, just get started in the entrepreneurial environment. Specific idea, do, a, do an honest self-assessment. Like I was part, I was honestly group A. I didn't know what I wanted to start. So I just went and immersed myself in Silicon Valley tech. Then the I then I saw it being made and I just kept working until I found an idea that my heart got passionate about and then I went after it. So two really great ways to go about it. You need to be really honest back to that ownership. Own your own skill set, be honest mm-hmm. about what your passions are and get get after
0: it. Awesome. Well, hey Patrick, great interview, great information, facetwealth.com if you want to check them out. Um not only are you looking to hire people, but you're also looking for clients too. So um, whether, Absolutely. Whatever you're looking for, check them out, facetwealth.com, and we uh, look forward to seeing the future success of, you, of your company. Thank you. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.